Uh, for scripture today, uh, there's two parts that I want to read from. First would be from Joshua 1, and then also from John 16. So from Joshua 1, this would be verses 5 through 9. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then in John, chapter 16, verses 29 through 33. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Would you pray with me? Lord, we give this day to you. We thank you for your presence with us. We pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts, that we might be open to hear your word, that we might learn, that we might grow closer to you and to each other. Thank you for your presence here in Jesus' name. Amen. I begin with a question that I believe most of you have heard before. <clears throat> What's in your wallet? It's a very popular commercial, has been actually for the last 20, over 20 years now. You may have not th thought it was that old, but it is. It's been used for a long time. Can anybody tell me what it's an advertisement for? Capital One, 
the nation's largest direct bank, has been promoting credit card services, asking that question, what's in your wallet? Three years later, after it was started, it began promoting banking and other financial services. It just has become a staple that we hear all the time on TV. But there's an interesting thing about that question. Because many of us have learned from traveling, from going shopping, the importance of having the right things in your wallet. And one of the most important things you can have is your identification. Now, for the most part in this country, that identification is your driver's license. And you may use sometimes, they may ask you to see a credit card. Some may go with that, some will not. If you've ever been to the border or traveled to another country, there is another form of identification that you better have somewhere, which is your, your, trans, your passport. And to be able to, to go into a different country, they will ask you. And if you've ever done that, there is some times, especially depending on the countries that you're going to, a real question about and some anxiety it creates as to whether or not there is some issue or they will suggest there is. And they will ask you clarifying questions and they will try to verify and make sure that you are who you say you are and that you're safe and that you are telling the truth about that. I learned some time ago, I never knew this, that you can actually get a wallet size birth certificate. Now, not every place will recognize it or at the borders, but it is a certified copy that is in wallet size. And I carry uh, one of those with me as well. So this question of proving who we are, an approval to go any further or to proceed with a purchase, these requirements for entering, these, this verification is something that Jesus was speaking to the disciples about. Not because the world would necessarily recognize their ID, but that they would know who they are. The importance of knowing who you are and carrying that which can definitively identify to you to others wherever you go and whatever the circumstance is what Jesus was working at addressing. And here we have a description of our spiritual ID found in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. If you have your Bibles, turn there to 1 John 5, 1 to 5. Here we have a clear description. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So if we love God the Father, we will love Jesus as well, his son. This is how we know that we love the children of God. 
by loving God and carrying out his commands. That is the first defining thing about it here, the specific of saying, for those people who carry the idea of being a Christian, being a person of faith, being a follower of Christ himself, will love God and carry out his commands. In fact, verse 3 says, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Overcomes the world if we are born of God. And then this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that has overcome the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. That is the spiritual ID for all believers. Do we believe that? That Jesus is the son of God. And so what you have in this passage is a a definition that says, this is how we know that someone is a follower of Christ, that they love God and work diligently to keep his commands and are faithful and continue to place their faith in God and in his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus was teaching the disciples that they would know who they are. And they finally got past the hurdle where he says, where the disciples were saying, well, finally, you're now speaking in clear terms. Yeah, he was speaking in clear terms. Maybe they were just getting to that point of maturity of being able to understand what he had been saying all along. But the confusing thing is, is that we're in trouble, aren't we? We're in trouble because that idea is not being recognized increasingly in this country, in many places. The world is not tolerating the faith and understanding of believers. In fact, the churches and believers are being attacked not because of maliciousness necessarily, sometimes perhaps, but there is trouble in paradise. There is trouble because people don't understand that we are not of this world. And we're going to look at that in a second. That there's three things that Jesus was was wanting to establish so clearly. And because of this climate we're in where, where the church can't do anything right or believers are inconsistent because you sin, therefore your faith isn't valid. And where there is an attack on every corner and there is embarrassment and there is a push for us to soften our gospel and to soften our conviction and to soften our determination to all of scripture as a guide for us and under the in the process of that this what really what Jesus was saying was telling the disciples in this world you will have trouble and then he was he was informing them this is what I want you to establish with clarity 
so that you don't get caught up into it and you don't turn away from the faith that saves you. The first is simply this, as I've already mentioned, to know who you are. In John 17, we will turn to that because in the John 16 passage, Jesus was prepping the disciples, preparing them for what they would face to understand who they are. But in John 17, we have the heart of Jesus. I I continue to study this prayer. I continue to find this prayer something that is amazing. Because if we really want to understand what Jesus is thinking and and how he processes with with his father and with uh, and his this this prayer is just laying out his heart for the dis- disciples his heart for all that would would come to faith because of the work of the disciples and so let's look to John 17 starting with verse 7 Jesus prays Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for all of the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. His was concern here was that the disciples would never forget who they were as members of a spiritual world and a spiritual kingdom. And he goes on in verse 13. I am coming to you now, he says to the Father. But these things while, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. The world has hated them, them, but they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. I want to repeat that. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world, and that is where we struggle. Jesus was saying clearly, when you identify yourself as a follower of Christ, You give up the citizenship to this world as the guiding light of your life because you are a member of a different kingdom and you are a member of a a kingdom that isn't of this world. They are not of the world any more than I am. That's Jesus saying that. That means Jesus is saying when they identify with me, when they commit themselves to follow me, when they walk with me, they understand and accept that I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, I am the Son of God, that they will automatically transfer their membership and immediately within the wallet of their hearts will be a card that says, I am a child of God. And nothing in this world can take that away. Nothing. No criticism, no power, no government, no community, no cultural values, no theological debate, no whatever, cannot take away that I am a child of God. He wanted so desperately for them to understand that that is what will not only save them 
It's what will sustain them. And then let's go on. Verse 15. My prayer, Jesus says, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. That is a proclamation and a prayer that God would strengthen everything he taught to the disciples and that they would hold on to that more than anything that is is popular or any of the, the trouble. The trouble will come, but when you know who you are, it makes a huge difference. Secondly, excuse me. The second thing that he was emphasizing to the disciples when he says, Sanctify them by the truth, is that we are to keep his commands. And we are to keep his joy. Now, you don't think of that in that way. You often think joy is something, well, I just experience it when everything in the world lines up and everything is perfect and all is right and it's a good day and the sun is shining outside and it's getting warmer and, and you know, uh, somebody just sent me a check in the mail and I've got plenty of food and the kitchen is stuck. You can go on and on and on. That's, oh, now I can experience joy. And that would be true if your citizenship was based on your driver's license or an ID card from this world. But we are actually to keep the commands and to keep the joy of the Lord because that nothing that is going on around us, it's hard, it's difficult. We have deep compassion. We cry tears. We, we, we humble ourselves at the cross. We plead with God for help. And those are all good things. But we are commanded to be a follower of Christ. And when we do that and when we keep in his way and keep his commands... We are also called to keep his joy because we know what the end of the book teaches us. We know what's in the result of uh, what is the result of Jesus' death. We know as we sang, were you there when he rose up from the dead? Well, we, we are now. And we see it and we experience it. And so we have a reason for joy. In 1 John, seventeen, there in verse thirteen, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they—he's talking about the disciples 
may have the full measure of joy within them. The full measure of it. And then in 1 John 4, 1 to 6, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's why we can have joy. It is not dependent on the circumstances. It's not dependent on what's going around on around us. It is based upon the word of truth. It's based upon God's promises. It's based upon the, 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 the very words of Jesus as he tells them, that he is in them, even as Jesus is one in the Father, so they are one in Jesus. And that citizenship, if you will, that ID, that identification, clearly gives a basis for joy. Many people carry the Christian ID card, but many times you wouldn't know it. And it's just a card. It is the same way in the Old Testament that Jesus talked about moving from that which was on the stones to that which is in your heart. The reality is that those who are believers and have a faith that transcends this world will absolutely, without question, be able to have joy and to be able to, to, to live in peace because we know who we follow. And that presence of Christ is with us as well. The third thing that Jesus is trying to get through to the disciples about, and I think still trying to get through to us, this last year has rattled us. It was different. It's nothing we were prepared for, have ever dealt with before except for some of the, the, the older generations who maybe did experience way back something similar. But for this generation and in an age where everything we can possibly have is solvable medically, militarily, financially, economically, politically, every, there's always answers in all of those things. And we get so caught up in that and we get, we get to the point where we're frustrated. And I will tell you right away, I'm ready to throw up my hands and say it's just time for this whole thing to be done. But it's not going to take away my joy. And that's what Jesus was calling the disciples to, to, to realize is that you are an overcomer. I have created you and what I am doing for you is to establish for you a victory that no one can take away from you. And so, is it a few months? Is it another year? Oh, I sure hope not. We all hope not. We all pray that there would be relief. We pray that this 
thing gets better and we pray that life gets better and we pray that people quit dying. But we will not give up our victory because Jesus established that for us. And so he wants the disciples to claim their victory. There are so many passages, especially the, the uh, King James Version and the New King James, use the word overcometh a, a lot, especially throughout Revelation. That there is this word that an overcomer is someone who has conquered or is victorious, someone who is successful, someone that who has gone over a barrier or over a limit. The Bible declares in Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in us. We identify and we, we are identified by living in that kingdom, a, def, a different world, a world that this world cannot shake or change or take away from us. And in 1 John 2.13, it says, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. It's a, definitely an affirmation of claiming that title of being victorious, of the title of overcoming. Many of you have maybe already started a week-long binge, and I'm not criticizing I'm not saying it's entirely unhealthy, but there are some who this next two weeks will be consumed by the world of the NCAA basketball tournament. Do not be overcome by the world. They're all fighting for victory. They're all playing their hearts out. They're all working hard. They've worked hard. It's been a a tough year for all of the ball teams in all sports, at all levels. It's been a rough year. It's been tough. But we, we tend to get caught up in these contests, and, and, and it is fun, and it's enjoyable. But don't get so caught up that you can't at least recognize that whoever is crowned the college basketball champion is not going to earn them a place in heaven by itself. And I will still continue to declare, I, I love this because it was different than most. Some people get interviewed. And I don't even remember the college. I don't remember the player. I just remember this, that the, the interviewer jumped right in and started asking him questions. And she was, you know, kind of, she was pretty intense. She kept kind of peppering him one after the other. And, and finally, uh, he's, she kept asking me, him about, about playing with some other star player and, and about the, the, you know, the whole team and everything. And finally, he almost, it was, it, it was almost like he had to interrupt her and say, I just want to say one thing. None of this could be possible and I, I can't give any credit greater than to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And I love that because God's love and God's light shine through. And I know that there has been criticism of people. Oh, well, you're just trying to, to, to just establish or say your faith or, or promote it. Or it was something, you know, that was almost as if it's now, what, gimmicky to give credit to God and to give acknowledgement that my faith and my thanks first and most of all goes to God. And I say, bring it on, do it more. I love it every time somebody does it because what they're doing is they are not ashamed to be called a child of God. There is no shame in it. There is nothing that will keep me from it. There is nothing that will take away, nothing that will take away the reality of what Christ did for me on the cross. Yes, his suffering. And his suffering was so that we would no longer have to suffer in so many ways because of the assurance of being given the title of being an overcomer. God wants us to embrace that. Overcoming is part of our inheritance as a child of God. We can claim victory. We can claim our victory. By perhaps, and I suggest this to you, maybe each one of us needs to make an anything that list. An anything that list. Anything that, for example, causes distance between ourselves and God. Let's name that and address it. Anything that causes distance or conflict with others. Anything that is contrary to the guidance of Scripture. Anything that creates or increases fear. Anything that tries to keep us from biblical or spiritual practices. Anything that enslaves us or makes us dependent on things that are not from God. Anything that causes us to trust God less. Anything that diminishes, changes, dismisses, or contradicts God's truth. Anything that demands views, practices, and attitudes as a priority over Jesus. Any of these things need to be avoided. In your devotions or in your quiet time this week, name an anything that list for you. Name it. Put it on your mirror or put it on your refrigerator put it somewhere that reminds you to say as I go through this day Lord guide me to the things of you and anything that is otherwise help me to sniff that out and to discard it and turn away from it so finally you know what this fourth point is you know that there is no point in understanding that we identify ourselves as a Christ follower. There's no point in following his commands and being obedient. There's no point in claiming our role as an overcomer and, a, and, and one that has been given victory unless it is worth sharing with somebody else. And we're called to share so that others can join 
the eternal family of faith, that others can be given their ID card, that others can be given that same claim to being overcomers as well. Are we ready for this? Are we willing and ready to shape our identity? Not just individually, but as a church, our worship, our ministries, are we ready to actually shape them and allow the Spirit of God to transform what we do and how we do it with a way that is effectively reaching others and sharing it with others? To share a caring gospel, a healing gospel, a saving gospel, a gospel of the word, a gospel of training in righteousness, a kingdom gospel that is not of this world. You know, Leighton Ford um, wrote a book called Good News is for Sharing many, many years ago. And preparing for this book, he talked, he said, I have talked to a lot of people and the fear issue comes up in front again and again. What makes people hesitate to share their faith? Here are some of the fears that have been mentioned to me. I'm afraid I might do more harm than good. I don't know what to say. I may not be able to give snappy answers to tricky questions. I may seem bigoted. I may invade someone's privacy. I'm afraid I might fail. I'm afraid that I might be a hypocrite. Perhaps the most common fear, however is that of being rejected. A survey was given to those attending training sessions for the Billy Graham crusade in Detroit, and one question asked, what is your greatest hindrance to witnessing? 9% said they were too busy to remember to do it. 28% felt the lack of real information to know how to share. None said that they really didn't care but 12% said that their own lives uh, were not speaking as they should. In other words, they weren't being faithful, so how can I lead somebody else or tell somebody else to be faithful if I'm not being faithful and not paying attention or, 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 or putting Christ first in, a, in my life? By far, though, the largest group of this Billy Graham study was that 51%, those with, uh, whose biggest problem was fear, and, and how the other person would react. None of us likes to be rejected, ridiculed, or regarded as an oddball. We don't want to be pigeonholed or, or labeled or, or, or somehow criticized for being a, a religious fanatic, a, a nut, kind of whacked out. I was just looking over the song list of recent praise songs that are popular and noticed how frequently, either in the title or in the lyrics, the word fear comes up. You might know most of these or some of these. The line, no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Fear is a liar. Oh, how you're weary from fearing you lost control. Or, I will fear no more. Or, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. You know, you probably don't know who Brian Simo is. He's, he's a race car driver, and he was. Most of you have probably never heard of him. However, there's one thing I know that you have heard of, which is probably familiar. In 1985, 
he created a clothing line uh, and found an idea that appealed to many, many, many Americans. You know what it was? No fear. That phrase became extremely popular, still used today. No fear. I've seen t-shirts on it, uh, all kinds of stuff with it, hats with it on. No fear. And you think that this guy came up with it? Folks, we serve a God that originated no fear. We serve a God that gave us a way to not have to have fear. We look to scripture and it's in scripture repeatedly. No fear, no fear, no fear. The real no fear lifestyle is found in those who, like the Apostle Peter, would say to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I will follow you. Or you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I will die to myself and live for you and serve you. I will no longer be a slave to fear. I will, no, I will not stop proclaiming the truth, whatever the cost. I will stand for you in a world that will turn against me. I belong to you while I'm here and forever in your presence. Doug read the past, the first passage he read was from Joshua chapter 1. Where it says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, God says. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to your ancestors to give them. And again, you, I know you heard this. This may be redundant. I hope we keep hearing it and keep reading it until we believe it and claim it. Verse 7, be strong and courageous. Second time, be careful to obey the law of my servant Moses that he gave to you. Do not turn to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you again, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. All of this because of something as simple as God's presence. Does the presence of God make a difference for you? Does the presence of God continue to speak to you? Does the Holy Spirit speak to you? This message, you are not of this world. You are of my world, my kingdom. Do not be afraid. Do not Step back. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Thankfully, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, First John says, our faith. Because he is the true light of the world, Jesus overcame the darkness. We too are to be light for those still living in darkness. 
and are to be overcoming darkness, overcoming fear, willing to share with people, regardless if there's rejection, regardless if I say the wrong words or if it comes out unclear or the question I can't answer, am I willing to step out in courage and say, yet I will live for you, Lord Jesus Christ. May that be our aim and our assurance. I want to invite the team to come up. We're going to close uh, the, the service with a song that just like we mentioned in all these other songs, the song is, Whom Shall I Fear? And I think we all know, after looking at these scriptures and after establishing what Jesus did for his disciples and for all of those. And I just want to point you out to that one passage. Did you know that Jesus prayed for us in that prayer? He prayed not only for the disciples, but he prayed for all of the people that would come into an identification, come into the kingdom of God because of their ministry and their work. And we are a lineage to that. We are in the faith today because of the work of those disciples and because of that prayer that Jesus gave that all who are out there waiting for us to invite and call, encourage, bless and guide and teach and train and equip so that they can go out and make more disciples. We need to establish God's presence and power to be able to do that because Jesus prayed for us to be about that same mission and that same calling to let the world know you too can become an overcomer of any fear or anything that's out there. Whom then shall I fear?